toast. Uh, yes. I am past. Perfect. Where are we going? <laughs> You're the one who pressed record. <laughs> Hello, darling. Happy Thursday. It's not Thursday. No, but it will be for oh. everyone else <laughs> when this comes out. Yes, happy it is their Thursday. Future Thursday at 1 a.m. when we schedule it. Yep. How are things in the future? Is it brighter? I hope so. It's been a pretty shit week. Has it? Yeah, it's been a it, little. It's been a little roller coasty. Mm-hmm. Little ups and downs. Just a little. Ins and outs. Yep. Topsy turvies. Did I miss any analogies? Probably. Or no. Would that be an analogy or would that be like a synonym? No. I don't know words. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. Well, I did have a fun little surprise for Marcy on Tuesday. Yes, it was Tuesday because you went to work. So I ordered a cute true crime book from True Crime Nursery Rhymes. And his name is Josh, who makes it and owns it. And he did this cute little wrapping and everything with like splattered blood. I wonder whose blood it was. Well, it's his, I assume. Yeah, probably. Personalized. Well, we should have kept that in case, you know, we might need it in the future. Oh, to plan as evidence? Yeah. That would have been really fun. That would have made a really good episode. Damn. Way to drop the ball, Karen. We fucked up. Let's go dig in your garbage can. (laughs) No, I did that last night. I don't want to do it again. (laughs) Um, So check out his Instagram. It's True Crime Nursery Rhymes. He has a second book coming out. It's a not your average nursery rhymes. I wouldn't. They're about true crimes. Yeah, I, I wouldn't read it to your children. Oh. I mean, whoops. You could. Ooh, maybe that's why I might haven't slept the last two nights. Probably. Could be. I keep dreaming about body parts, mm. blood. Yeah. Hatchets. Makes sense. Kidding. Don't call CPS. <laughs> Do not read it to my children. <laughs> We have a special episode. So our friend Sunny sent us a little, was it a message on Instagram or was it a comment? I think a comment. Saying that we should cover the hi-fi murders in Utah. And so. That's Utah. We did. <laughs> it's Utah is how it's pronounced. Utah. That's how it's spelled. It's pronounced Ooh. I've never Utah. heard one person in my whole existence pronounce it like that. Are you serious? And I'm friends with Mormons. Well, me too. The Latter-day Saints of Utah. I'm <laughs> 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 not kidding. Have you never seen Wild Wild West with Will Smith? Oh, with Smith? Will Smith. Oh. And one of the ladies that worked for the bad guy, she called the Utah. Oh my god! <laughs> I had you going. You thought that's really well. I was really impressed. You, you kept a straight face. That was probably the I longest. Do my best. I do my best. Yeah, I know. That I was pretty kept good. Going go the whole episode, but I doubt it. Then I would have told you I was joking. You'd be like, "No, you weren't. You totally thought that's how it was pronounced." Well, you probably do. Yeah. Okay, I'm just gonna go since you're uh, killing my buzz, and it's about to be killed even more because spoiler alert. This episode is, or this story is awful. 
super Perfect. horrific. Yes. Um, I wrote here that Sunny is a very beautiful person inside and out. I mean, she's just lovely. She is very human. lovely. And this is an ugly Thank story. Thank you for recommending it. Yes, thank you. I'd never heard about it. Me either. And it's probably one that should be told because it's one of Utah's most brutal crimes ever. Violent. Oh. In history Ooh. of that state. Ooh. Yeah. So I got my information from Case Acquaint, which is a podcast. Okay. Uh, they covered this in episode 26. Now the host sounds like Karen from Will and Grace. Oh. Uh, we all know and love. <laughs> Megan. What's what's her last? She's, She's married, married to Ron. Yeah, Nick yeah. Offerman. Yeah. She's so the, the host sound like her, except like with no, you know, because it's such a morbid tale. It was very matter of fact. Uh huh. So none of her flair. Uh huh. As you have it. And I also use some Wikipedia and a little MedlinePlus.gov. Oh, fancy! Here we go. Oh my God, you scared me. <laughs> I'm going to take you back to Ogden, Utah, and I hope I wrote the year down here, 1974. Yes, 1974. Okay, Ogden is about 45 minutes from Salt Lake, and for a little bit, it was the second largest city in the state. Well, I'm glad you figured that out, because my story's in Ogden, and I did no, no research. No shit! Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Mind blown. Mormons are savage. Oh, the ones that committed my crime were not. Oh. LDS. Well, mine. Okay, anyways. Just keep going. Just keep going. Okay. So, even being a large city at this time, there was only one other open homicide investigation in 74. Mm, Okay. Okay, and it was close to the ski resorts and also close to the Hill Air Force Base, which was a major source of employment. For the area. Does that play into your story at all? Nope. Oh. It's a big factor in mine. Oh. Okay. Uh, 1974. Paint you a little picture. Ogden is booming. They just built a new LDS temple. Ooh. It's gorgeous. Ooh. There is also a popular electronics store located in a high-end shopping area, and the shop is called Hi-Fi. H-I-F-I. Oh, it's not Sam Goodies. My goodies. My goodies. <laughs> stupid. And it was owned by a young man named Brent Richardson, who happened to be from, quote unquote, old money. Do you get it? No. Titanic. I'm really talking about people having old money. Okay, Karen, we're not friends anymore. Okay, bye. But my heart will go on. God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be the survivor. I'll let you die. <laughs> what? There what? is room on that little piece of wood for both of us. Well, in the moment, Kay. apparently there wasn't. So. Gosh. Leo. If we have to pick one, we're Stop. I'm going to start crying. Let me get back to the story. You don't cry. I do when who it comes you, to Titanic. Who are oh, you trying to kid? That movie makes me cry every time. Ladies and gents. handle it. Next time Marcy cries. Ladies and gentlemen. We need to get, like proof of it you know proof or it didn't happen are you gonna let me tell my goddamn story or what no no (laughs) (laughs) all right monday april 22nd 1974 it's an unusually warm 
April day. Now, Stan Walker, 20, and Michelle Ansley, 18, were getting ready to close up shop at the Hi-Fi store when men busted through the front door, guns blazing. Michelle was immediately taken to the basement and tied up. Stan was held in the sand room. A little bit later, 16-year-old Courtney Nesbitt uh, decided to come into the store to tell Stan thank you because Stan let him park his car in the store's parking lot while he went to go run an errand. He was also taken hostage. So at this point, they kick Stan and Courtney down the stairs into the basement. Did you say how old they were? Sorry. Yeah. Courtney's 16. Stan's 20. Oh, my god. And Michelle's 18. So young. Just. Even at my age now, bed. if someone threw me down, like, in a basement. Oh, my God. This, I, I feel very I uncomfortable right now. Pee my pants. Okay. So, once they're down in the basement, the men also restrain them, tie them up. Stan and Michelle were laid down by one wall and Courtney was placed along the opposite wall. And for the next hour, the perpetrators robbed the hi-fi shop while the three hostages awaited their fate in the basement. Courtney was very responsible. Um, He was taking flying lessons. So he would take lessons, go home, eat, and then go back and take more lessons. Wow. Yeah. Dedicated. Yeah. So in between lessons, he's running a quick errand for his parents, Carol and Byron. But they started to worry as it got later, and their son still hadn't returned. It reminds me of that girl I did. Um, She was 18. She did, like, cosmetology school. Uh, uh-huh. Like, just such a good kid. And it's a terrible fate. Uh, yeah. So there, and then there's Stan, who's 20, that works at the shop. And his parents also started to get worried when he didn't show up at home. So, um... Stan's dad, Oren, thought, decided to go check on Stan at the shop, at the hi-fi shop, make sure everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And Carol, Courtney's mom, also decided to go down there. So when they show up, of course, they're taken hostage and led down to the basement, tied up and laid on their stomachs. So Oren got a really good look, good look at two of the men. They were young, African-American. One that acted like he was in charge was short with an accent, and the other was taller and just kind of a follower, did what the other man said. Mm-hmm. Turns out the men were airmen from the Hill Air Force Base, and they had concocted a plan for dealing with witnesses because they didn't want to leave any. Uh-oh. So they watched the film Magnum Force. Have you seen that? Uh-uh. I haven't. I didn't want to Google it because in the podcast... The host told me everything I need to know about it. Oh, perfect. So, a pimp suspects, suspects a prostitute from stealing money from him. In retaliation, he pours drain cleaner down her throat. Oh, my God. And it kills her in seconds. Well, yeah. So, guess what these men did? Oh, no, 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 no. They purchased Drano before the heist because they thought it would be a quick, easy way to deal with witnesses. Ugh. So, the taller man poured some Drano into a cup. And ordered Oren to drink. Of course, he refused. And so began the torture. So, Carol was the first victim. They forced her to ingest the drain cleaner. I did a little Google. This is where Medline.gov comes in. This is what happens when you drink Drano. 
severe abdominal pain, breathing difficulty due to throat swelling, burns of the mouth and throat, chest pain, collapse, diarrhea, drooling, loss of vision if the poison touches your eyes, mouth pain severe, rapid drop in blood pressure, also shock, severe throat pain, burns and tissue damage, and bloody vomit. And death may occur up to several months later from additional complications. And I think that's if you just drink like a little bit and, you know, you're Googling it on for poison control reasons, not a whole cup. Um, Holes in the esophagus and stomach may cause serious infections in the inside spaces of the chest and abdomen, abdomen, which can lead to death. So first Courtney or first Carol and then her son Courtney was force fed the Drano, then Stan and then Michelle. So Oren is the last, and he watches how each person coughs and spits up all this, you know, and kind of convulses. Mm-hmm. And so they sit him up and force him to drink, and he pretends to swallow. And then he starts also spitting and convulsing, acting like he ingested it. Smart. Mm-hmm. And they lay him down, and he lets the Drano come out the side of his mouth, kind of seep out, even though it's, I'm sure, intense pain. From the burning right. on the side of his mouth. Unfortunately, the shorter man, who's the boss, notices this and he filled another cup for Oren to drink. Okay, so the captors had this idea that these people are going to immediately die and it was going to be efficient. Right. Well, they're starting to get very frustrated because they're having to dodge flying Drano as they're spitting it out <laughs> and vomiting. And they don't understand why. So the shorter man decides to get masking tape to close their mouths. Mm. But it doesn't stick because their skin is wet. So they're frustrated. They decide to leave. They go back upstairs to help with the robbery. A few hours later, they head back downstairs to rob personal items from the hostages. And the shorter man um, said wanted to know what they were going to do with their dying victims. And the taller man said he wouldn't do anything else because he was scared and they were already dying. Right. And so the taller man heads back upstairs. The shorter man takes his revolver and he shot Carol in the back of the head. Mm, Then Courtney. And he goes after Oren next. The bullet missed Oren and hits the carpet. So then he shoots Stan. His son, Oren's son. Mm-hmm. He's out of bullets. He goes back up to reload. Comes down the stairs after Oren. Shoots him. Doesn't miss. So everybody has been shot, presumably dead, except for Michelle. This is so awful. So he takes her to a room and he brutally rapes her for about 20 minutes. Oh, my God. Uh, he tells her to go to the bathroom while he watches. And she already had a drink. Uh-huh. Drano. Uh-huh. What if she just had, like, severe, like, diarrhea or something because, you know, like... Oh, I'm sure. I, mean, I don't even know how your body would be handling all this that's happening And then to you're you. being raped. Oh, oh I wish she would have, like, shit all over him while he I was know. raping. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that'd be perfect. They didn't talk about that in the podcast that I listened to, the episode. But you never know. Because you can't imagine, yeah. like, what your body is... Right, exactly. ...going through. Okay, so then he takes her back into the room with the others 
and lays her next to Oren. And there he realizes that Oren is not dead. Ooh. So he tries to strangle him, and then he gets tired, so he goes back and he shoots Michelle. So he starts looking around the basement for something to strangle Oren with, and he finds electrical cord. He tries again, but so Oren tightens his muscles in his neck. Oh, And then smart. he pretends to lose consciousness. So the man lays Oren down, and Oren feels something push into his ear. A ballpoint pen. The man then stomps the pen ah! into his ear Ow! three times. Ow! I told you. It took Ow! me probably three days to get through this podcast episode because it's so awful. I'm so glad you're doing this and not me. Ugh. Okay. Then they, two men leave in a cargo van with about $25,000 worth of stolen goods. Okay, Oren's wife and his other son show up at the hi-fi shop looking for Oren and Stan. Mm-hmm. They rang the buzzer and Oren screamed for whoever was outside to call the police. Oh, my God. His son, recognizing his dad's voice, busts open the door to find the horrific scene inside. And Oren, still alive with the pin in his head. God, what a badass. No shit. Is trying to re- revive his son. Yeah. And... Not uh, able to do so. He survived Drano shooting, being strangled by hand and cord with the pin, like I said, still in his head. Now, the pin actually, when it was stopped down, instead of going straight into his brain, it went down into his neck. Oh, so is that what saved him? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Uh, at the scene, police found Stan and Michelle were dead. Courtney and his mom, Carol, were still alive. Oh, wow. Courtney they were tra- and Carol were transferred to a hospital. So now Carol's husband, Byron, was on call as an OB, the gynecologist. Uh-huh. And he heard the news of people coming, from the hospi- coming to the hospital from the hi-fi shop. So he gets in his car and he rushes over to the hi-fi shop. And that's where his fears are confirmed, that it is his son that's been. Oh, my gosh hurt and so byron goes back to the hospital and carol died before he made it there and i icu staff wasn't sure what courtney even forced to drink because he's not conscious and so they're working on him as best they can okay now i talked about there was another murder investigation open in ogden at the time one other one so when something like this happens the town's big but it's also small enough that police kind of know like, who are the suspects or the major criminals in the area? Mm-hmm. The one open murder investigation was the killing of Air Force Sergeant Ed Jefferson. Okay. Deep breath. He was found stabbed in the head and face by a bayonet in his apartment in October of 73. What's that? So a bayonet's one of those old-time guns that soldiers would use i'm thinking like civil war world war ii even they have a big spike on the end oh yes. so yes, you yes. run out of bullets you can run up right and stab. right okay jesus christ <sighs> and it was a crime that was full of rage uh it was so brutal the bayonet actually fractured the inside of the skull opposite the side it was lodged in oh my god and they have a suspect for that uh, Dale Selby Pierre. 
The reason he is a suspect is Dale had swiped the keys to Jefferson's apartment and car, made copies, then helped Jefferson find the keys. Hmm. And he even claimed to have found them. But Jefferson was no dummy. He changed the locks to his apartment and his car ignition. Oh, good. So then he's found murdered. Go. Friends and colleagues all pointed detectives in Dale's direction. They did not have enough evidence to arrest him. Um, so the sheer brutality of both murders and also descriptions given from Oren was enough for police to suspect Dale was one of the perpetrators. Fellow airmen said Dale was a loner, violent, and one man even started shaking in fear talking about him. Oh, wow. He was 21 at the time of the murder. He was born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago, mm -hmm. which is in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. So that's where the accent mm. Oren Heard is from. Got it. So at the age of 17, he moved to, moved to Brooklyn and then in 73 joined the United States Air Force. In September of that year, he was transferred to Hill Air Force Base as a helicopter mechanic. A month later, he murders the sergeant. Wow. Yeah, he didn't like being told what to do, and at the time of the slayings, he was in the process of getting out of the Air Force, along with his buddy, 19-year-old William Andrews. And he was trying to get out of the Air Force, but he was also at the same time trying, the Air Force security was trying to get him kicked out because he was so much trouble. Mm. So on the Hill Air Force Base, uh, two boys young boys were going through dumpsters looking for soda bottles to turn in for cash. They didn't find bottles, but they found two purses. Inside, they found credit cards, and so they decided to big dig for more treasure. <laughs> they found keys, makeup pictures, checkbook, and wallets stained with blood. So the boys are like, well, these probably came from a robbery mm -hmm. since they're in the dumpster. Um, a couple airmen spotted the boys with the belongings and so they decided to call the phone number found in the checkbook which belonged to Michelle so they phone Michelle's house and her parents are already aware that she's been murdered and so of course they interrogate him and when they you know he says no I'm just an airman I boys found her wallet we're just trying to get a hold of the owners and they both agree to contact police so her parents get a hold of the town police, and the airmen get a hold of the Air Force mm -hmm. police. The So, about the same time, and, like, all this is happening super fast, so it hasn't even been 24 hours mm -hmm. since the murder. A call comes in, the tip line, from a man stating he knew who robbed the shop. He said it was two fellow airmen who were bragging about recent robbery, robberies, and even had a plan to rob the hi-fi store. Del Selby, Pierre, and William Andrews. He even said Dale had boasted about how he would kill anyone who got in their way. Oh, my God. The caller gave barrack numbers of the two men. And so now it's not even 24 hours. They have their two suspects. And as police look closer... Not only would they be able to close the book on the Jefferson murder and the Hi-Fi Shop murders, but there had also been uh, carjackings or car thefts mm -hmm. 
lately. So Pierre was the suspect of these. He actually would, one of them, it was a Corvette, I believe. Yeah. He had taken it for a test drive. And during the test drive, he stopped and had copies of the keys made. Mm. Now, he was arrested and charged with three counts of theft, but because he was in the Air Force, he was released on $2,500 bond. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Now, Air Base security did not have record of the two men being on base at all Monday, and they didn't show up until Tuesday morning, mm. which Monday is the day of the evening of the heist and murders. Uh, they gave Orrin Walker a lineup, and he immediately picked out Dale oh, as the shorter man in charge. Now, this call coming from the informant happened the same time investigators were sent out to the Air Force Base to get the stuff from the dumpster and also go through the dumpster more, looking for more clues. Mm-hmm. While they're searching the dumpsters, they are aware that someone is watching their every move oh my God. from one of the barracks. So, probably Dale or William. It doesn't say who it was, but they knew they were being watched. Yeah. How fucking creepy. So creepy. And they're totally unaware that that guy's, a, you know, a suspect, I think, because the call hadn't come in. Uh-huh. Tuesday evening, it's been a little over 24 hours, Dale and William are arrested. A search at the barracks yielded none of the stolen equipment. But they did find an envelope under the carpet containing a rental agreement for a storage unit next to the hi-fi shop. Oh. There, the police found the stolen equipment and even more damning, the bottle of Drano that was used. Oh, my gosh. It's almost like these guys, like, didn't care about getting caught. I think they were just so cocky. Yeah. As I'm pretty – Dale has probably done it. Well, he murdered – the sergeant and right. had been arrested. Yeah. And so They're just angry. so messy. Like, they just don't care. Like, oh, I'll throw it away. Like, <sighs> okay, but your prints and everything are all over it. Yeah, true. It's not like you wore a mask and yeah. made sure these people were dead. They thought, I don't know if they just decided to give up on Oren. Yeah. Or if maybe he played dead after he was stabbed. Right. Um, okay, so back at the hospital. Courtney... The 16-year-old, he was in and out of consciousness, but he was able to help with the investigation. Oh, wow. His throat severely severely burned. He was able to whisper to his father that there were actually three men at the shop that night. Oh, my gosh. Now, this is weird. After giving those details, he has amnesia. So he goes into a canatotic state, and he's never able to remember what happened that night again. Wow. That's the only time he ever talks about it. Well, good that he actually did. Yeah. You know. So, uh, that's so, ugh. Ugh, that's all I can say. I know. I'm, like, speechless. Yeah. My throat hurts. My head hurts. My Tell ears hurt. <laughs> <laughs> the third man was Keith Roberts, and he waited outside in a getaway vehicle, and he was charged with armed robbery. Police speculate there may have been as many as six men responsible for the robbery, but we're... We only know of three. Right. So November 16th, 1974, Pierre and Andrews were convicted of all charges. Roberts was convicted, the getaway driver, of only robbery. Pierre and Andrews were sentenced to death. And Roberts was sentenced to prison and was paroled in 1987. 
1977, convicted murderer Gary Gilmore, who was also facing the death penalty, was reported to have said, Adios, Pierre and Andrews. I'll be seeing you directly. Oh, my gosh. On his way to meet a firing squad. That's how he was. Wow. Well, I mean, good, but wow. <laughs> uh, the NAACP demanded that Pierre and Andrews' death sentences should be revoked because of racial bias at the trial. Mm. They noted they defendants were both black and the victims and jury were all white. Mm-hmm. And according to Amnesty International, the sole black member of the jury pool was stricken by the prosecution during jury selection. But it was because, not because of his race, but because he was a law enforcement officer who personally knew everyone involved. Oh, yeah. Andrews accused the judicial system of racism, and they tried to get a reduced sentence. He did an interview with USA Today. And he claimed that he never intended to kill anyone. But they also have a statement from him in which he admitted to being the one who purchased the drain cleaner and bought it the night of the killings. So it's premeditated, which is even worse. Absolutely. Ogden Police Police Department Officer Delroy White, who was a detective that worked the case, he said Andrews was the brains behind the whole deal and organized it. Pierre was the enforcer. After exhausting his appeals, Pierre Dale was executed by lethal injection on August 28, 1987, at the age of 34. At the time of his death, he left all of his money, a total $29. <laughs> That's going to be me whenever I die. <laughs> he left it to Andrews. You better leave it to me. Yeah. Please. I'll split it up between <gasps> you and my mom. Fair, I guess. Andrews was executed by lethal injection July 30th, 1992, at the age of 37. Oh, wow. So, Keith Roberts, he had no knowledge of the murders. However, he was convicted of two counts of aggravated robbery and was sentenced to five years to life. He was paroled in 87, and he moved to Oklahoma, and he died August 8th, 1992. Hmm. Just right. from, like, natural, not, like... I think so. Oh, okay. Yeah. A little bit about the victim. So, Sherry Michelle Ansley. She was 18, and she had only been hired a week before the murders. Oh, no. And she was engaged and planned to be married August of that year. Wait, Michelle? Well, Sherry Michelle Ansley, but she went by Michelle. Oh, okay. Yeah. Byron Courtney Nisbet. They all went by their middle names. Uh, he was a high school student. Um, he wasn't able to testify because of his amnesia. And he returned to school a year after the incident. And he graduated with his class in 1976. But because of brain damage from his head wound, he wasn't able to go to college. And he couldn't hold a job. Oh. Uh, he married, divorced, remarried, and he suffered chronic pain all of his life. And he died in 2002 at the age of 44. God, you'd almost just, like, want to die right at that, you know, the heist because, I mean, you're never going to be the same again. Yeah, a long road of recovery and pain. Yeah. Probably nightmares. He can't even hold a job. Like, that's that's horrible. Uh, Carol, uh, she was 52 when she was murdered. Oren 
he's he testified at the trial. Oh, good. Uh, he died February 13th, 2000. He was 69 years old. And Stanley, he was 20 when he was murdered. To this day, the hi-fi shop murders are known as Utah's most brutal and disturbing crime. That is horrible. Isn't that so sickening it's just so much violence and rage against people that you innocent people for twenty five thousand dollars of stuff not even money Mm -mm. you'd have to go sell all that to get you know what i mean it's i think pierre just wanted to kill somebody yeah i think that was his whole motive for the even being part of the robbery was just to commit murder well and for like oren you can see that, like, Papa Bear in him, like, willing mm-hmm. to fight and not die. Because at least he, you know, someone had to testify for all of them. That's true. You know Be what I mean? Voice. Yep. Yeah. Even if all, well, who, Courtney survived. Mm-hmm. Courtney and Oren. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, someone, you have that, like... I don't know. You know, they always say, like, the mama bear is so protective. Like, she would do anything to protect her kids. Mm-hmm. Like, I bet, you know, he felt that way seeing his son. Oh, it will be so awful. And yeah. then other kids around his son's age, you know. Oh, my gosh. And being alive for the horrible rape of Michelle. And this I is, mean, oh yeah, this is when God. your fight, flight, or freeze happens. Oh. You know, your frontal cortex is telling you, you either, like, this is a life or death situation, so you either are going to fight it, you're going to try to run away from it, or you're not going to do anything. And he, luckily, at least fought and... And his body allowed it. Because, I mean, the other people also, the other victims, I mean, they had all Durano being shot. It was just almost too, it was just... Luck was on his side. Right, to right. Agreed. Oh, so sickening. When you said mm-hmm. that he pretended to like swallow it. Oh, so smart. I was thinking, I, <laughs> I used to do that at a lot of parties. So like we'd play. Did you ever play King's Cup? No. No. So it's like a card drinking game, and one of the numbers, if someone draws it, it's called a waterfall. So you start drinking in like a row but you can't stop drinking until the person in front of you stops so like i because i can't like chug a beer <laughs> so i would just like put it to my lips and then like keep swallowing oh my gosh karen well okay i i, just, I would probably do the same i mean because at first you know i would actually drink a little bit and then i'm like okay these fuckers are taking forever <laughs> you know and you didn't want to be the bitch who like stopped yeah you know? oh no so i <laughs> that, i kept thinking about that the whole time <laughs> oh that was, that, i mean it wasn't good but it's a good one to be aware of. Yes. Okie dokie, my turn. Okay, so I got my sources from newsweek.com, and the, this is a I Survived episode. Ooh, the so best. Season six, episode one. Um, this is about a cult. Ooh. I know. I've been dying to do a cult, so. I'm excited. Very nice. I could say something like really shitty about, oh, you're talking about the Mormons? <laughs> well, 
Just kidding. Uh, my best friend in high school was LDS. I yeah. went to church with her. A lot of dances. <laughs> they know how to have a good time. Good, clean fun. You have to you save know? room for Jesus. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But not John Dance Night. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this is the story of Amber. Um, <laughs> oh, it's so nice to just now I can relax. I can finish my little Ugh, bit of wine. Shut up. I'm like all tense from that I know. I'm story. having like an adrenaline dump. Yeah, my just palms are all sweaty. It's oh, so all intense. sweaty. Okay, so let's see. I think Amber was born 1971. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to pre-warn all of you that... There wasn't as much information, so I watched the episode, and obviously you only get her uh-huh. side of the story. So then I started researching it more, and it was mostly everything she already said. Oh, okay. Like, people didn't really dig in to mm. it more. I don't know. So, which is fine, but. Uh, so Amber was given up for adoption a few weeks after she was born. Her adopted parents ran a shop selling drug paraphernalia. Drugs? Paraphernalia? Mm-hmm. Like, like a marijuana shop? Probably. What? Yeah. In in Utah? No. I don't... They didn't say where they were uh, from. Well, where would that even be legal that you'd be able to do that, right? I mean, it's the 70s. Because it it's wasn't the legal... the hippie generation. It wasn't legal until what? Just not too long ago. Well, it didn't say they ran it legally. I mean, it could have oh, been they had a drugstore. Oh, there we go. And then it was under the counter type of thing. Gotcha. Okay. Think outside of the box, Marcy. I can't. I love my box. So when missionaries from the LDS church showed up, her parents found God. And I put it in quotes. So Amber is now nine, and her parents sold their shop and moved to Utah. They were very poor. They were living in tents. They had no money. They just never had a home, and it was really hard for Amber because she was so young. Oh, I'm sure. You know, she had to worry every day about what they were going to eat, where they were going to sleep type of a thing. Her parents began experimenting with... Experimenting? Experimenting. Uh, Yeah. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. Uh, With several cults. Oh, so they're just dabbling i mean you have to find the one that fits yeah you. you know it's like trying on clothes it's like you, goldilocks you gotta try them all this one has too many <laughs> rules this one doesn't have enough right this one wants to have sex with minors yes exactly Ooh. so her parents found arvin shreve's group and they felt they were found so arvin shreve was an excommunicated mormon who called himself a prophet he claims that God talked directly to him. So Amber described Arvin as not your typical leader look. Okay. Um, he was short, bald, and overweight. And I oh. said he kind of looks like Danny DeVito. <laughs> like just, oh. you know. I would follow Danny DeVito. Yes, Danny DeVito, yes. But not Arvin Shreve. Oh. I mean, you just have this gross. I mean, they showed the same clip of him walking and he's just so gross looking you know the one that looks like a pedophile right okay so arvin's cult is called the zionist society oh like in zion is that in utah is that like a national National park Park. okay Mm -hmm. oh is that what is, is it named after him what the park named after who 
Arvin and his cult. Oh, I don't know. I hope not. Because I went to Zion National (laughs) Park, so I hope it's not. What did you have to do to get in? Who'd you pledge to? You know, I had to cut my hand open, blood, (gasps) spit, all of it. Everything. All bodily fluids. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Little pee. (laughs) (laughs) All of it. Okay, so the Zionist Society owned all the houses in a cul-de-sac in the small town of Ogden, Utah. Mm. It was a beautiful, well-kept area from the outside. Amber described it as, like, the movie um, Stepford Wives. Like, everything, like, grass is perfectly green and cut, and everything is just, like, prim and proper and, you know, whatever. Stupid. It's not how we live. No. (laughs) So... Arvin preached to his 70 followers that they would be the only survivors of the upcoming apocalypse. So, okay, sorry. Now, um, fast forward a little. This time is late 80s, early 90s. Okay. So he was prepping them for 2000 year 2000 when y2k yep when we were all supposed to die apparently so there were secret rooms built in every home there was a button on a shoe rack that you would push and the door would lift up and lead to stairs leading to a soundproof room how cool would it be to buy one of those homes like now and not being aware of that and all of a sudden you kind of like, the kids are messing around, they stumble onto a secret room. How exciting would that be? You know, as a, as a kid, if you, or even as an adult, if I moved in somewhere and I press this button, all of a sudden there's this secret room. Yeah, it oh would my, be like pretty cool. a panic cool. room. It would, would be, be cool. But not one of these houses. Oh, are they ugly? Well, no, I'm just saying, like, what they used oh, it for. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. Um, so the Zionist Society also endorsed polygamy, where men could have multiple wives. Amber is 12 years old now, and she was separated from her parents soon after they joined the group. Her parents lived in a different house down the street. If Amber wanted to go see or talk to them, she would have to set up an appointment with them, and they could only be in groups of three. What? I don't understand the group of three thing. Mm-mm. There wasn't, yeah, there wasn't much information about that. Weird. So Amber lived in the house across from Arvin. She was chosen to be in the sister council, which Mm. meant that she was either becoming or one of Arvin's wives. Oh, gosh. Come on, 12. Yeah. She was the chosen one. Oh. So everyone knew where the sister council was at at all times. Like, everyone knew what they were doing. Like, you know, because they're women. They all had to live there. They all had to be, like, dress a certain way and do a certain thing and talk a certain way. It, it is very much Ew. like the Stepford Wives, right? Uh, Except see. underage. <laughs> yeah. Well, not all of them. Oh. Because I think um, in one article, and I might have it down later, but I think he had 30 wives. <gasps> yeah. Did so they all live together? Yeah. That, so that's the sister council. Oh, so that was the house Lord. across the street. Jeez. The children weren't allowed to go to public schools. Well, no, because somebody would be, you know, have CPS or somebody at their door because teachers are not going to let that fly, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. 
they were homeschooled, but they weren't taught math or reading. Oh, no. Anything Mm-mm. that you're supposed to teach children. They were taught about the Zionists. They were taught how to sew, read scriptures, and how to sexually satisfy uh, the prophets. No, 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 no. Does he teach that class? No. Who teaches that? That's... Can I finish telling my no, story? It's so gross. <laughs> oh my God. Just wait, I will tell you. Ooh. So, one woman in the house was in charge of teaching the sexual way of life. Which they called swole, S-W-O-L. I'm never saying I'm looking swole again. Yeah, me either. It was a sexual way of life to the younger girls. Okay, this is where it gets really fucked up. What? It already is. you need to move away from your mic because you're loud. Okay, I'm away. I'm away. She would play a game (laughs) called Rape in the Dark. What? Which involved dildos and toys. In a room which a, so the, it, Rape in the it dark. would be a different girl each time holding a card marked rapist and they were able to perform any sexual act that she chose on another. Oh, it's like a disgusting Simon Says. Yeah. So another girl um, who survived this cult, I, I didn't write down her name. I should have. Um, she quoted, they told me lesbianism was disgusting, and this was way better. Ooh, so it was their way honey. of, you know, worshiping God, because they were learning to satisfy the prophet. Why did they refer to him as a rapist? I don't know. That's so weird. Yeah, it's very weird. So Amber was always afraid of playing the games. Oh, shit. So the woman would tell her how it's her plan from God to do these things and learn these things. Um, Eventually, Amber's father found out about the games, and he confronted Arvin. That's when Arvin kicked Amber's parents out. Arvin told her parents that Amber was the chosen one. So as Amber's parents were leaving, they told her to get in the car. Yeah. Um, the other members were standing outside surrounding Amber to, quote unquote, oh protect her. And it's so sad because in this episode, she admits that all she ever wanted was a home. And she felt, oh, you know, besides so the sexual stuff, she did feel loved and accepted. And she said that she had so much fun with the other sisters and they would like make salsa and bake and like you know that do all these terrible <laughs> do all these like fun stuff that she's never done oh, before oh yeah just want you know to... she has I her mean, own bed her like, adopted parents sound like they should never have been parents right they i agree never been allowed to adopt i agree i think well she even admits that they were very lost yeah. and you know in the hippie generation they did a lot of drugs it was just kind of like the um uh, what is it? Like, wanderlust type of mm, yeah. life. Like, they didn't have a set goal or plan. They were just kind of go with the flow type yeah. of people. I don't know. Maybe they thought adopting a child would change that for them. But yeah, obviously not. Like, they just never found themselves. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Mm-hmm. So, Amber chose to stay. 
So Amber is now 13. She is being groomed as a sexual slave for Arvin. Oh, my God. Um, the girls were still forced to play sex games on each other. Oh. Uh, they would also pick a card and then have to perform what it said on the card. So Amber said it started out, you know, kind of innocent. It would say, like, you know, French kiss. And then it would <gasps> go down to, like, oh my God. French kiss left breast, oh. I think is what she said. Yeah. On your sister, basically, right? Well, yeah. Sisters? This Because well, they're all... Oh. I mean, sister wives, have you never seen that show? That's a real yes. thing. Yeah, I have seen that. I used to watch that. It's a it's real just, thing. It's so twisted that you can't look away yeah like a car accident i know but it like yes because i agree i that show is very like what the fuck but then i'm like all of us watching it are giving them money that's true you know what i mean encouraging right the behavior because if the ratings were down they wouldn't be getting paid they'd be canceled it's like the the kid being bullied and everyone's in a circle watching it but not stopping it right no, I totally get it. Speeding oh, the fuel. Shortly before Amber's 14th birthday, she was summoned to Arvin's house. They would tell her it's her time. They put lingerie on her and pushed her out the door. So she gets to Arvin's house. Arvin asked her if she loved God or loved the devil. Which Amber was saying, it's basically him saying are you gonna do this or are you gonna go to hell because mm. you're, you know because you're not fulfilling oh my gosh what Ooh, god i feel so gross right now i know try watching that episode oh. when i feel so bad for her i mean we'll, we'll i'll get more into her after but okay um okay so amber remembers it wasn't a soft sexual act that the women had taught her she said it was a violent, horrible rape. Oh. After Arvin was done, he rolled over and fell asleep. She said she laid there on her back, and she was looking. There were lace white curtains, and she stared at them all night. She couldn't sleep. She didn't move. She just felt so horrible. She was hoping that was it, you know? And then she said... Oh, because, yeah, she's probably thinking it's going to be, like, this beautiful ceremony. Right. You know, your first time should be wonderful. And that's, I mean, oh, gosh. So she said his rapes became a way of life. Oh. The Zionist Society had a business selling erotic lingerie. The children, as well as young women in the cult, sewed and modeled the lingerie. Sometimes outside people would come to buy it. Um, I think it was only people Arvin invited, so people he trusted. How would you even make money with that, though? Because people would buy it. But only, like, a select. Yeah, I don't, I mean. Who knows? There's a lot of freaks in the world who want to see little girls in lingerie. Well, it's true. Mm. Um, Okay, so as... Amber, you know, Amber would have to model this lingerie. And she always wondered what it would be like if she just left with one of those outsiders. Yeah. Arvin became concerned about her curiosity. So now Amber was cut from the modeling and was isolated. 
um, which made it hard for a teenager because radios and TVs were forbidden. Let's see. Oh, she even brought up a memory. She was able to go to the fabric store with two of the other sisters to get more fabric. And she turned on the radio in the car. And it was some, had to be like some upbeat, like kind of rock song. And she said it made her feel really good. Like she felt Uh happy and she was dancing. And one of the other sisters turned it off and said, that's the devil's music. Oh, my gosh. But it's okay for you to be raped by this old man repeatedly. And she says she just Mm. cried. She said that song. She didn't say what song it was, but she said it just made her feel so good. It's just so sad. All the things we take for granted. I know. Well, and think, you know, she's, what, 14 at this time now? Like, you're just a teenager. Like, I only listen to music. Oh, yeah. You know, my CD player. Yeah. All the burn CDs. Oh, my God, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so at this time, Amber has now been in the cult for six years. Amber knew that there was a phone across the street in Arvin's house. It was the only phone available. So Amber also knew because of her adopted parents have been um, CPS being called on them. She knows what CPS is, what they do, how they help. So she's trying to get across the street to call CPS. Um. She tried one day, and she noticed people were watching her. So she kind of, you know, she kind of had to, like, step back from the plan for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then sometime she said something was going on, so everyone was busy. And so she was able to get across. She called. She said it's like time stopped. She said time was so slow. She felt like dialing the numbers took so long. Whoa. Just because you're so anxious, you know, like about getting caught. And I, it's amazing. She must have memorized the number. Yeah, she had to. Oh, man. So she calls CPS um, and she pleaded to the social work to save her. Social worker <gasps> to save her. Oh. So she assumed that they would come right then and yeah. there. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. That's the what troops. she thought. Um. But days went by. No one came. Oh, no. So, you know, she finally was kind of just like, fuck this. Like, no one's going to save me. Save me. She said she just wanted to die. Oh, honey. Finally, someone came and rang the doorbell. Amber was taken, and uh, the FBI launched an investigation. But, so she saved from the cult. But now she's in foster care, which isn't any better. She was put into t- 10 to 12 foster homes oh. in a three-month period. What? Yeah. So, of course, mm. she has all this trauma. Oh, yeah. I mean, her... No stability. Her biological parents gave her up, so obviously she doesn't feel love. So she's never felt love or, yeah, just having that stable environment mm. with adults and she's, you know, she's probably 15 now at this point, going through all this trauma. So, of course, she's drinking and partying. Aww. I mean, I, I can totally relate. I get that. Trauma will do that 
to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said she got in a lot of trouble um, partying. She did say uh, – she didn't say much about it, but she did say she got back in touch with her parents. Uh, she said it took a long time to build a relationship oh, with sure. them. Um, but that's when she was saying they were lost. They just didn't know what to do with life. And, mm. you know, they were hoping, you know, a society would give them that answer. Oh. Um, so she, I mean, she didn't seem angry or anything towards them. Oh. Uh, so I did find um, some other info on her and in... 2016 she was actually trying to make a documentary about the zionist society called dirty halos which i thought was a badass name that's pretty clever um i saw she had this website uh to take donations because she wanted to make it like a legit good movie not not like a you know high school film type of a thing Mm -hmm. um but i don't think she has the funds right now to do it because I haven't Mm. seen anything. But she does post a lot of YouTube videos. um, And she did – I didn't watch any, but I scrolled through a lot. And she does have some about her cult experience. Mm. So if you're interested in more about her. I think her full name is Amber Lee Dawn or Dawn Lee. Something like that. Hmm. Okay, so the end. Oh, here we go. I have the... So Zion is the hill of Jerusalem on which the city of David was built. Oh. And in Christian thought, it's the heavenly city or kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Whatever. (laughs) Just a little tidbit for you. So prosecutors said that at least 10 children were molested by Arvin and his followers, 10 of whom were later charged with child sex abuse so there were obviously 10 of his followers who were also guilty of all this well and probably the older woman Mm -hmm. the teacher yeah instigating the game right so police raided uh the group's headquarters in 1991 they found guns survival gear hidden rooms and a bomb shelter um so they have thought that arvin had this cult um for about 10 years before the raid whoa in november 1991 arvin pleaded guilty on two counts of sodomy of a child and two counts of sex abuse of a child he was sentenced to guess how long two years a minimum of 20 years, which you know, it's never 20 years. Uh-uh. That's supposed to be the minimum. I know. So in 2009, Arvin Shreve, who was 79, died. Good. In, um, in prison. Good. Yeah. And that, that's, that's all I got. That's, that's it. his boom. Yeah. Which what I feel, I'm surprised. Well, I wonder if they had him in, um, like, isolation. Because in general population, if you have charges because of child abuse or child rape, you're the targeted person. 
people don't fuck with that. Yeah. So I'm surprised that he lived that long in prison. They probably had him in solitary. Otherwise, he's going to recruit more members if he's not in general population. (laughs) That's true. Okay, so I have a little... um, what is it called? Ghost story. Uh, what do you have for us today, Karen? What's it called? I don't know. What are you trying to say? Oh, an urban legend. Ooh, Ooh there I go. An urban legend. So I'm kind of. It, it's funny that you also did Ogden. I know. Because I I told you I was like, oh, my little ghost stories about the town that I did. So that's yeah. that was perfect. That's insane. Okay, so it's really short. So I'm sorry. Well, no, we're already at an hour. Oh, perfect. Okay. Awesome. The beautiful Egyptian theater has reports of the ghosts of a young girl haunting the theater since its 1997 renovation. Described as a preteen ghost with shoulder length hair, she is often seen near the stairs leading to the private boxes. Probably one of uh, Arvin's (laughs) sister wives. In the Ogden Cemetery, there is a girl named Flo who was once sitting on the curb waiting for her ride. Suddenly, she was hit by a car and died. Legend has it that if you drive by her gravestone and blink your car's headlights three times, she will appear first as a green light and then transform into a young girl as she floats towards your car thinking you are her ride home. I think we need to go to Utah and go do that. Just flash feet. Yeah. That scares me. <laughs> it does. I know. It chills. <laughs> That's it. Freaky. That was really good. Yay. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Thanks. Marcy. Funny Thanks, for the Sunny. recommendation. Yeah. It's good. As awful as it was. Yeah. <laughs> we love taking recommendations. We do. You can... Follow us on social media. Yeah. Instagram and Twitter at Murder of Ages. Or email it in. Either way. Mm-hmm. Whatever. At uh, Murder of Ages at gmail.com. And we also have our Patreon. We've been posting pictures of our fun merchandise. That's www.patreon.com slash murder. We're supposed to say it together. <laughs> I was thinking I was going to chime in at the same time. Ready? One, two, three. Murder of ages. Ages. That's What if I went to go slower? That was really bad. Um, our our uh, one and only Patreon member. Oh, yeah. What's what's her name? Brenda? <laughs> That's her sister. She's going to kill you. Oh, she keeps sending me these cute pictures of her using the koozie. And it's so cute. Thank you, love Nancy. It. We love you. We do. All and right. all of our listeners, thank you for joining us on this Thursday. This has been Sleepy Time. It's Marcy and Karen. <laughs> okay, close this out. To all you perverse, notorious wastes, we'll meet you there. <laughs>